Well, happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the house today. There was an elementary school teacher that was uh, teaching a class about magnets and, you know, how magnets can have opposite polarity and how you can pick things up. And she had her second graders uh, playing with magnets all day. The next day they come back to school and she gives them a pop quiz. And the quiz has a riddle in it. And the riddle is, my full name has six letters. I pick things up. The first letter in my name is M. What am I? Half the class got the answer wrong. But they all had the same wrong answer. They didn't say magnet. What do you think they said? Mother. Starts with M, six letters, it picks things up. Why not? You know, moms deserve to be celebrated today. They really do. And, uh, and I hope you'll take advantage of the opportunity, if your mom is living, to be able to celebrate her. Uh, even if you can't be with her physically, reach out to her by phone. Do something. Do something. I was reading about uh, something that happened in 1971. President Bokasso of the Central African Republic did something rather unique to celebrate Mother's Day. On that day, he ordered the execution of all men who were jailed for crimes against their mother. <laughs> Can I just uh, suggest you do something else? Like, maybe something less violent, but something. You know, maybe not quite that. Something that mom would appreciate. I, I want to encourage you to open your Bible with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. Right about in the middle of your Bible, Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 describes for us what a godly wife and a godly mother looks like. Now, as we're turning there, let me just say something here. Uh, that Some of you, you, you know the Bible pretty well, and, and you, you are familiar with the phrase, a Proverbs 31 woman. And some of you, you're not really fans because reading Proverbs 31 and the definition of a Proverbs 31 woman is almost like getting uh, greeting cards, you know, that say all these impossibly high standards that you are supposed to meet. And you're like, ah, well, thank you, but wow, that's, that's a lot. I don't really, I don't think that's me. And, and some people, they actually look at Proverbs 31 and they just get frustrated and complain that this is just another example of some fictional, impossible, ideal woman that men expect you to be and that some poor, ambitious women are hopelessly trying to emulate. That's the way some people look at Proverbs 31. I mean, it is written by a guy, after all. And so it's easy to look at it that way and say, like, wow, this is just unattainable. But I want you to know something that's interesting about Proverbs 31. It is written by a guy, in fact, a king. His name's King Lemuel. But the content that he writes in Proverbs 31 was actually taught him by his mother. Look at the first verse with me. Proverbs 31.1 says, The sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance that his mother taught him. And so in the first nine verses, uh, she just gives him some real good, super practical wisdom. She tells him things like, don't spend your money chasing women in verse 3. She says, uh, don't drink beer in the next couple of verses. Don't drink wine. She says, don't abuse your power. And, and then she says in verse 9, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Just some good, practical, motherly wisdom. 
that last verse, when she said that, she's speaking about those that are needy, those that are poor. But, but in our generation and in our cultural context, that verse has really become synonymous with the pro-life movement. Speak up for those that cannot speak for themselves. I just want to pause here before we get into another election and say, I thank God on Mother's Day that at some point, all of our mothers were pro-life. Amen? Amen. And so she gives him practical advice, but then here's what a lot of people don't know about the rest of the chapter, and I think it's pretty important for our understanding. How many of you have seen acronyms before? Maybe your kids have even done acronyms for Mother's Day, you know, where they write a, a word down the left-hand margin of the page, like mother, M-O-T-H-E-R, and then next to each letter, they, they write a descriptive of praise and honor. I, I read this one. It's not mine originally. It says, M is for the million things she gave me. O means only that she's another year older. T is for the tears shed to save me. H is for her heart as pure as gold. E is for her eyes with love light shining. R means right, and right she always will be. We've all seen acronyms before, right? That's what Proverbs 31 is from verse 10 to 31. Every line begins with a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So he's not building a case or an argument to say this is what every godly woman, you have to do all these things. What he's doing is he's stringing pearls on a string. He's saying, what, what 22 things can I say to brag on a godly woman? These are the things that, that she does. These are the kind of person that she is. And the point that he's getting to in all of this, the point is in the last two verses. I want you to look at it with me. Verse 30 and 31. He says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Verse 31, honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So it's a poem. It's an acronym. And it was written to honor these women. Why? The reason it was written to honor these women is because women are created in the image of God. Can I say just as much as men are, the Bible says God created them, man in his own image. He created them male and female. He's created women in his image. And although God has primarily revealed himself to us as a father, I believe it's his favorite name. He is heavenly father before he's all other things. But it's also true that there are some attributes of his nature that you just understand better through the other half of creation. I mean, after all, when he made man, he said it was good. When he made woman, he said it's very good. Can I get an amen, fellas? Come on, that's, that's, good. that's good exegesis of the scripture. He... There's some things about God that we only understand to its fullest when we look at a godly woman. So as we honor mom today, here's my prayer, that we would get a greater revelation of who God is, who he is. This weekend we had our, our love and respect conference. And uh, by the way, thank you uh, to Rick and Crystal and John and Denise for leading that. They did an incredible job. Thank you guys so much for your leadership. We had a great time, and one of the truths that was just underscored in that is that, that, that our goal, our purpose in life is not to be 
a better husband or to be a better wife. Our purpose is to be like Jesus. So a lot of times we say, I can't, I can't be a better husband or I can't be a better wife because of my spouse. But, but regardless of what that person does, your goal, my goal in this life is to be like Jesus. And can I just flip that to today and say your purpose is not to be the best mom. Your purpose is not to be the best dad. And, and if you don't have that opportunity, then it's not like you're not going to fulfill God's given purpose in your life. Your purpose is to be like Jesus. Paul said it best when he said, for me... To live is Christ. It's Christ. That, that's my whole purpose in life. So regardless of whether you had the greatest mom in the world or the worst mom, regardless of whether you have nine kids or you never even wanted one, your purpose is to be like Jesus. Your circumstance does not change your purpose. But there's some things that we can learn about the nature of God, who he is in our lives when we look at godly women, at godly mothers. There's four things I want to tell you. Number one, mom's a comforter. Mom is a comforter. Isaiah 66 verse 13 says this, As a mother comforts her son, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Can I just say this verse undoubtedly has to be one of the greatest compliments that a lady could get. That of all the things that God would want to use to communicate his heart and his, his love and his comfort, for us, for the nation of Israel specifically here, he chooses the metaphor of motherhood. Of all the things that he could say. Because mothering, when it's done right, is synonymous with comforting. Isn't that true? I mean, we can all get the stereotypical images in our head immediately when I talk about mothering being comforting. You know, little kid falls off the slide on the playground. He's, he's got mulch all over his knees, tears in his eyes. And what does dad say? Shake it off. Get up, get up. Like We think like if he gets up faster, maybe he won't be hurt as bad. Like, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. You're okay, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. You know, make sure mom's not looking. You're good, you're good, you're good, right? You're good, you're good. <laughs> what does mom do? Oh, baby, come here. Let me kiss it. Let me, let me wipe your tears. You know, we just see that mom is, is comforting. And, and I'm not talking about giving you this impression of, of the Bible that sounds like a greeting card or, because the Bible doesn't give us that picture of motherhood. In fact, the Bible, and I, I appreciate this so much, the Bible gives us the raw, nitty-gritty record of the full spectrum of human nature. When you look at the Bible, you see selfless virtues, but you also see the depravity of humanity. When you look at stories in the Bible, we encounter women who protected their children from harm right alongside with those who harmed their children. Solomon tells us about a woman who ate one, so that's a story for another Sunday. It shows us women that desperately wanted children but couldn't have them. It shows us women that had them but didn't really care for them the way they should have. We meet virtuous women. We meet scandalous women. And yet, given all those extremes, God chose motherhood as a metaphor for his love and his care for his people. When Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, he was nearing the cross. The Bible records his words in Matthew 23, 37. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. 
this isn't something that's just limited to women who actually have biological children. God has displayed uniquely his nature through women different than he does through men. Differently. I, I, I've seen this illustrated even in American history. Uh, all three of my daughters, when they got to fifth grade, they went on a field trip to Gettysburg. And, and every time, I volunteered as the parent chaperone. And so I, I, I'm a slow learner, but I'm persistent. I just keep, I kept showing up, and after a while, I get some things. And so I went to Gettysburg with all three of them. And one of the stories that we learned is that when the Battle of Gettysburg broke out in the Civil War, they didn't have any hospitals in the area. But within just a few days of the conflict, they had, they had put together about 140 different hospitals where they could tend to the wounded and the dying. And because all the men are fighting, the first thing they did was they enlisted the boys to come and to help to serve the medical teams, to take care of the sick, to stitch up the wounded, to help with the amputation of limbs. And what they found is that the boys couldn't stomach it. They kept running out of the tents. They kept... They kept Getting sick, and so then they went and they got the women and the girls. As young as 10 years old, they brought girls in to, to nurse the wounded back to health, to perform tasks and to help with surgeries. What they discovered is what the Bible has spoken to us long ago, that, that women reflect the nature of God to comfort. That it's in their makeup. These little girls stitched up the wounded. They helped perform procedures, and at the end of the war, they received full military pensions for their valor. Even to this day, women dominate the medical field. Nurses, doctors, they dominate that field. Why? Because women are created by God to express his comfort. Lemuel writes these words then in the end of Proverbs 31. He says, honor her for all her hands have done. What, is, what has she done? She's comforted. She's comforted. That's why in verse 12 of that chapter, he says, she brings her husband good, not harm, all the days of her life. In verse 20, it says, she opens her arms to the poor and she extends her hands to the needy. Mom's a comforter. The second thing is mom believes in you. How many of you are, are thankful for that? Mom believes in you. Good mothers are worthy of honor because of the way that they, they just believe in their children. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew 20, in verse 20 and 21, an interesting story. It says, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, she asked a favor of him. She asked Jesus. Verse 21, he says, what is it you want? She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your kingdom. Now, some of y'all are ahead of me, and you know that when we read this verse, we always read it in a negative light. Because come on, how presumptuous to come to Jesus and be like, you know what I think you should do? And the worst part is they actually asked their mom to go to Jesus. And, and would, you, would you go and ask Jesus if, if, if we can sit on his right and left hand of authority in his eternal kingdom? And she's like, oh, you guys would be so good at that. I'll go talk to him right now. Jesus, I got to tell you, of all the disciples, 
My little Johnny and Jamie, I'm telling you, those boys would do so good. And so we know Jesus rebuked them for that. So we, we want to rebuke them right away when we read the story. But can we acknowledge, first of all, what we see in the nature of a mom who just absolutely believes in her kids? Like, why would she not think that of all the people following Jesus, her two sons are the most likely candidates? How many of you have watched American Idol before? If you've seen American Idol during the audition phase, you know that mom believes in her kids despite all the facts. Like, I mean, they're out in the, they're out in the hallway. They're waiting for their audition. And they're like, I mean, from the, from, the t- from the time I was just a little child, my mom told me that I, I just I sing like an angel. And then they play the old footage, and you see the little kid, you know, holding their hairbrush, and they're singing their song, and dad's got the video camera, and mom's clapping, and cut back to them, and they're like, I- I've been ready for this moment my whole life. My mom told me this is my destiny. And then they walk in there in front of the panel of professional judges, and this god-awful sound comes up from their throat and you're going your mom lied to you you can't carry a tune in a bucket you shouldn't even be allowed to play the radio it's that bad I mean like you're terrible and you watch this play out and you know you know, that, that person wasn't lied to. That person has a mom that loves them and thinks that they should be on the right and left hand of Jesus in his kingdom. Like, you can do no wrong because mom believes the absolute best in you. And the truth is, that's a reflection of the heart of our God. In her book, Letters to My Daughters, Mary Madeline captures a universal truth when she writes this. No one else ever will think you're great the way your mother does. No one else will think you're great the way your mother does. Proverbs 31, 31 tells us that we should honor her for all that her hands have done. What what has her hands done? She's believed in you. She believed in your potential. That's why verse 26 says this about her. It says, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Faithful instruction. I, I, I know, like, uh, you know, the, the signs are maybe pointing to failure, but man, this kid's gonna be a success. Faithful instruction. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction. Let me tell you the third thing about mom mom's a provider. She's a provider. Good mothers do more than just facilitate good self esteem in their kids, they also provide for them. Whatever the cost, whatever sacrifice has to be made, sometimes it takes creativity, but good mothers do whatever they need to do to make sure their children survive. And maybe the most obvious example of this in the scripture is Moses' mother. I want to read this portion to you out of Exodus chapter 2. Pharaoh had been massacring all of the Hebrew sons because population was growing too strong and he was afraid that they would eventually take over his kingdom so it says in verse 2 of exodus 2 now a man of the tribe of levi married a levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son and when she saw that he was a fine child she hid him for three months but when she could hide him no longer she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch 
Then she placed the child in it, and she put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood a distance to see what would happen to him. And then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it, and she saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Now, I don't want to add to the text, but I can't help but believe that Moses' mom knew where Pharaoh's daughter took a bath. I know we've seen it played out in the movies where, you know, the, the basket just goes in, in the Nile and it just like drifts downstream and it almost gets eaten by a hippopotamus. And, you know, I, I've watched the Prince of Egypt too, but that's not what the Bible says happened. The Bible says she made this basket. She made sure it was buoyant and, and she placed it in the reeds. And I think that even though Pharaoh was out uh, causing a genocide of Hebrew babies, that Moses' mother knew something about the heart of God that's reflected in a mom, and that if Pharaoh's daughter would come upon this baby, she wouldn't call for his murder. She would say, oh, it's a baby. It's one of the Hebrew babies, and even that wouldn't inspire murder in her heart. And so then it says, Moses' sister, who's been watching from the reeds, comes out from behind the bulrushes, and it says in verse 7, she says to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? Yes, we can all anticipate the answer. Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. That's, that's, the, that's the ingenuity of a mom that wants to provide for her kids. She, against all odds, she figured out a way to not only keep her son alive, but to make the government pay for it. Like, you pay me, I'll take care of my own kid. Like, God's got a plan for his life. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what's happening to everybody else's kids. God's going to use my son. And she believed that, and she provided for him in an incredible way. Proverbs 31 says, you should honor her for this thing she has done. What, what has she done? She's provided. She's provided. That's why in verse 15 of Proverbs 31, he says, she gets up while it's still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She she provides for her family. It's in, the, it's in the heart of a woman created in the image of God to care, to provide, even beyond the point of death. I, I remind you that the, the first ones to come to the tomb on Easter morning were the women. And they didn't come looking to see if the stone had been rolled away and if Jesus had risen from the dead. They came carrying the spices. They came ready to worship a dead Savior. They came out of devotion. They wanted to provide for his lifeless body with the burial spices. 
Not only do good mothers deserve honor for comforting us and for believing in us and providing for their children, they also do a fourth thing that deserves honor. Moms leave a legacy. Moms leave a legacy. They, they build a heritage for us to walk in. The Bible says in Ezekiel 16, in the New American Standard Bible, it says, Behold, everyone who quotes Proverbs will quote this proverb concerning you, saying, like mother, like daughter. So it's true, isn't it, that, that our kids do more of what we do than what we say? Like mother, like daughter. We, we really hit, hit the parenting sweet spot when we actually do what we say. Like that's, I think that's the key. Like we actually do what we say, and then they do what we do. An inheritance is something that you leave for someone. A legacy is what you leave in someone. And mothers leave a legacy. Think about this. Of all the ministry partners that the Apostle Paul had, of all the people that he worked with, he said in Philippians 2.20 about Timothy, I have no one like him. Of all the people that he worked with, he said, I have no one like Timothy who shows a genuine concern for your welfare. Now, why is that important? Why is that significant? Because the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote that we have on record, he wrote to this young man, Timothy, that he loved and cared for so much. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, he says this to him. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. In other words, Timothy came by his faithful service honest. He came by his sincere faith honestly. Paul said, you know, I saw it in your mom, I saw it in your grandmother, and, and I see it evidenced in you. Your mom left a legacy. And Proverbs 31 says, honor her for all that her hands have done. What has she done? She's left a legacy. That's why in verse 25 of Proverbs 31, it says she's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. There's not a one of us in this room today that, that knows what tomorrow holds. There's not a mother alive or has ever lived that hasn't at some time been concerned or worried about the future for their family, for their kids. And yet this woman leaves a legacy of faith and he says she's clothed with strength and dignity and she can laugh at the days to come. He, he goes on in verse 28 to say her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Only one being that I can find in Scripture that we're to praise men besides God. It's your wife. He says he praises her. So can I just appeal to you on this Mother's Day to do more than just get nostalgic about Mother's Day, to not just be fond of the fact that, you know, like a magnet she picked up after you, <laughs> or that she cooked meals for you. I mean, if, if your mom is alive, you should absolutely take advantage of this opportunity on our American calendar to say, man, if I didn't say it before, I got to say it today. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. 
but your mom's contributions to your life, to your health, to your welfare, to your well-being, they are so much more significant than the sum total of all these things. The fact is she's worthy of honor because she, being created in the image of God, reflects some things to us, that, that God is a God of comfort, that God believes in you. Even when you don't believe in yourself, he believes in your potential, that God is a provider. Even when you don't deserve it, he causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, and that God has given you a legacy of faith. He didn't just call you to be his son, to be his daughter. He put you in a family. He invites you into a great cloud of witnesses. He's given you a legacy of faith. So as our worship team comes, I want to just take these closing moments, and I want to pray towards this end. I recognize today that, you know, Mother's Day, like a lot of holidays, can, uh, they can be triggers. While for some of us, this is an awesome day and a great day for other people, it's, it's far less. It conjures up memories of disappointment, unmet expectations, failures of our own failure and inadequacy that we're... All you can do is look back in hindsight and say, wish I would have, probably should have done something different. There's all kinds of emotions, and and I'm not going to try to to tap into all of those things right now. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart for no other reason than you faithfully got up and you came to the house of God today. And if you came in pain, I applaud you for saying, I'm I'm just going to come. I'm just going to come because Jesus is worthy of my praise. And if today is a hard day for you, if you've had a terrible uh, relationship with your mama, I'm sorry about all that, but I want you to know that, that a mother, the best mother that we could ever imagine, maybe it's yours, maybe it's not, but the best mother on her best day is just a mere reflection of the heart of a perfect God. God created man in his image. He created them, male and female. And when we look at the best the best moments of the best versions of ourselves. What we ought to get from that is a revelation of the creator, of the one in whose image we bear. So I want to pray for you today, and I want to invite you to stand with me all over this room just to reverence the presence of the Lord in this place. Would you just just quiet your heart for a moment? Allow the goodness of God. Allow the faithfulness of God. The reality that, hallelujah, He reigns. I mean, over over all of it, He reigns. Let that settle in to your heart for a moment as we pray. God, I thank you today that you are the God of all comfort. You're a God who comforts us in all of our sorrows. And you tell us to comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received. Your word declares you are close to the brokenhearted. And you save those who are crushed in spirit. Give us a revelation today of the God of all comfort. Would you stoop low? As Jesus said, in the same way that a mother hen gathers her chicks, Lord, you wanted to gather the people of Jerusalem, but they wouldn't come under your wing. God, if there's someone today that needs to be comforted, Lord, I pray in this moment they'd come under your wing. In this moment that they would feel the embrace just like a child who's fallen on the playground, who finds comfort and and safety 
in the loving touch of their mother, God, I pray today that someone would sense your arms of love wrapping around them right now, right now. God, would you bring comfort by your Holy Spirit? Would you begin to minister to the deep wounds of our heart today in this moment? Thank you that you are a God who has revealed yourself, not as some distant deity, some cosmic killjoy, but as a God of all comfort who is close to the brokenhearted. If you're here today and you need to be comforted in your spirit, I would just encourage you right now, would you just lift your hands towards the Lord right where you stand, like a child just opening up their hands, knowing that they're going to receive an embrace. Just reach for him right now. Say, God, I just receive. Lord, I open my life to you. Even as I open my arms, I open my life to you. I receive your comfort today. Maybe there's somebody here in this service and you just feel like you've failed one too many times. Maybe you've blown it. Maybe you've missed your opportunity. Maybe you've believed the lies of the enemy that you'll never amount to anything. You're, you're never going to fulfill your dreams. You're never going to meet anyone else's expectations. If that's you today, I pray, God, give them a revelation of a God who believes in them. You believe in them. It doesn't matter if they sing off key. It doesn't matter if they, if they try and fail. It doesn't matter how many times they've messed up. Your word declares greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God, would you fill them right now with the confidence of knowing that they have a heavenly father that believes in them, that can see them right now fulfilling their God-given destiny. You love them, God. You're for them. You're not against them. Don't give up, child of God. He believes in you in this moment. Now, now pray with me, church, for those in this room that, that, that have a need. Maybe, maybe it's a physical need. Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe it's an answer to a question about tomorrow. Know this, that God has revealed himself as a provider. Like a mother that gets up early and stays up late to prepare for her family. Like Proverbs 31 says, a woman who prepares garments so that she doesn't fear the snow in the winter. God goes before you. He knows the forecast. He knows what tomorrow holds. He's not panicking about your situation. He's not rocked by the storm. God, give us a revelation today that you are a provider that we can trust you. You are El Shaddai. You're the one that when we stand like Abraham, feeling like our promise is about to die, you put a ram in the thicket. You make a way where there seems to be no way. You call straight paths in the wilderness. You lead us through the raging waters. God, you are a provider. If you need him to provide for you, would you just ask him right now? Be specific about your need. James, the brother of Jesus, said, you have not because you ask not. Ask him right now, Jesus, would you heal my body? Jesus, would you touch my family? Jesus, would you help me with my finances? God, we ask you today to be our provider. Not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because it's who you are. We see that in a faithful mom. You want our needs to be met. God, today, I pray for those that feel alone those that feel like they're isolated amidst a crowd.
God, thank you that, that you don't want us to be isolated, but, but you destined us to be insulated, to be a part of a family, to, to be in the body of Christ. Maybe there's some here today that they don't have a legacy of faith. They might be a first-generation follower. You might be the first person in your family to seek to honor God. You're a new, a new branch, a new shoot on the family tree. But God has given you a legacy of faith. Father, today, would you embrace every wounded heart? Would you fill every empty place by the power of your Holy Spirit? If God is our Father, Lord, I believe you've called the church to be our mother. You said we are the body of Christ. Lord, use us to, to envelop and to love and surround and embrace our brothers and sisters in Christ. To be the felt presence of the head of the church who is Jesus Christ. Use us to be your arms extended, to wipe tears, to be a shoulder to cry on, to stoop low, to love. God, thank you that you've called us and invited us into an incredible legacy of faith. We give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said amen. If you're thankful for what he does for us, he's a good parent. Would you, would you give him praise today? <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence. Amen.